to say about endurance, about strength, about um, finishing strong, about running the race that, that uh, God has, has called you to, to run. And, and you know what today is, don't you? You know what today is? What's today? Exactly. This is the day that the Lord has made. Exactly. And you know what? Tomorrow is going to be the day He has made as well. So win, lose, no such thing as a draw in this game, but it'll still be... We'll be keeping our eyes on the Lord, yeah, and I understand there's, yeah, there's a big game going. Anyway, um, and so um, uh, there was a, a, a shoe company that ran an advertisement uh, just prior to the 1996 Olympics, and essentially this is what it says, you don't win the silver, you lose the gold. You don't win the silver, you, you lose the gold. And I guess that sort of speaks a little bit to this whole thing about um, a competition, and uh, you might remember the famous quote by the legendary coach Vince Lombardi. I see a couple of Packers fans there. Uh, you don't have to be a Packers fan to, to, to be honored by, by that man or to honor that man. But anyway, he used to say, and, and I like this, he would say, you know what? Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, winning makes everything better, doesn't it? Now, let me just tell you that um, uh, uh, I was at a game and I heard, I heard this comment that was made, and um, uh, it, was, it was that there are certain fundamental things that you can do to help yourself win. Why can't we do those things? It was a disgruntled parent. How many of you have had children that have been a part of some athletic event and it just drove you crazy? I mean, doesn't it take everything within you to hold back? Maybe, maybe you're, you're yelling at the referees, come on, and, and screaming at the top of your lungs, and you wish that you could call a timeout and go and gather everybody and say, okay, listen to me. This is what we need to do. Don't listen to your coach or, you know. Uh, uh, don't you wish that you could play the game for them? I mean, you get so... Is it anybody else or is it just me? And, you know, and it's not just athletics. I mean, it could be... You know, uh, uh, they're, they're auditioning for, for a, a, a part in a play. Or it could be a song that they're, they're, about, they're about to hit that high note. And you're like, okay, come on, here it is. And you, you're, you're just kind of trying to breathe breath into them to, to reach that note. Or, or maybe it's some exam that they're taking. And you think, okay, don't forget this. And remember, you know, pi equals. And, and you're just trying to help them. And you, you just wish so much that, that maybe you could just take that test for them, which you cannot do. By the way, the disgruntled parent, if you haven't figured it out, at the basketball game was me. I was like, I was like, and I said it, I, I don't know what happens when I get into a gym and my kids are playing. I go crazy. You know, I'm not like, like, you know, oh my gosh, get away from that. I'm not obnoxious. But I mean, they're, like, there's certain and I, and I said it too loud, and someone turned around and agreed. And I wasn't even looking for that, you know. And and one of and there's one referee. We were we were playing we were playing at at, at the Evil Empire Bishop Gorman High School, and um, and uh, I wouldn't have said that if D were here. I would not have said that. Uh, and 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 the refs was like, man, it was like, man, make the call. What's wrong with you? You can't do that, man. He's riding them the whole way, and I'm. Blah, 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 blah. 
And finally, the referee makes a call. I yell out, and it's not a big place. I go, it's about time. You know, and my wife is like, Shh, quiet, you know, and my, my daughter is like, Dad, I'm like, what? Well, I go stand in the corner. I can yell all I want to with all the other dads who are disgruntled. And so my son says, hey, Dad, you know that referee? Yeah, you know, he said after the game, he goes, is that your dad, Richard Box? Hey, I remember him when he played at UNLV, yeah. Yeah, and I went, oh, man, that probably wasn't the greatest witness. I'm glad he didn't ask what I do. Oh, he's a pastor. Really? Wow. All righty then, you know. Ah, right? Um, don't you wish you could just step in and help, though? Like, it's just take, you know. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, Dr. Luke, in uh, the author of the book of Acts, uh, tells us that Paul the Apostle went to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. But in Acts chapter 18, there's a little backdrop to why he went. We don't know exactly why he went, but there's a couple of reasons that he may have gone to the city Corinth. And when you think of Corinth, think, you know, sin, Las Vegas is called Sin City. You know, I mean, it happens everywhere you go, all over the world. People ask, where are you from? And you go, Las Vegas. And they all do the same thing. They go, Vegas, you know, their eyes light up, cha-ching, 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 and it's like, you know, as I told a checker one time in, in Newport, I said, listen, honey, what happens in Las Vegas doesn't stay in Las Vegas, it goes home with you, all right, including your debt or whatever else you pick up when you're here, you know, uh, Vegas, right, and, but when you think of Corinth, now think of, think of Sin City on a whole nother level, in fact, there was a term called to Corinthianize. And so when someone in L.A. says, yeah, we're going to Vegas, in Paul's day, it's like we're going to Corinthianize. <laughs> Corinth! I'm sure that's the way they responded when someone says they were from there. Well, Corinth was at the center of a strategic location. Uh, it was sort of the gateway from the west of the empire to the east as well as north and south. So it was a, a strategic city. A lot of people passed through. Paul the Apostle recognized that that'd be a great place to share the gospel. But first he was led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, there was a large Jewish community there as well, which would be another reason for him to go there. And third was the Isthmian Games. Every two years, the Greek Games uh, A.D. 54, 51 might have been the time that Paul was there during those games. And so he knew that people from all over the empire would make their way to Corinth. And he wanted to reach as many people as he could. Now, another thing that Paul did, you might know this, is that he was a tent maker. And so now you have the athletic village. Back then, you had the tent village. And so for a guy who repairs and puts together and makes tents, it made sense to go there to make a little extra change and some living expenses to help support the mission that he was on. Whatever the reason, there is a common denominator. He wanted to reach as many people as he could with the gospel. And he knew that these people would be converging together. Now, the uh, games are certainly much different than they are now. But the athletes would compete in various things like racing, right? Okay, in fact, some of the terminology that we pick up in the New Testament, uh, stadia means the race. That's where we get our word stadium from. Uh, wrestling, boxing, uh, discus, javelin throwing, the long jump chariot races. I bet those were a little gnarly. And two of my favorite ancient Olympic events were singing and poetry. I know. 
I know. So if you can do spoken word, you can like rap, or you could like win a gold medal in rap. You know, like wouldn't that be wouldn't that be interesting if they revive that? You know, and poetry and no, y'all not feeling that. That's right up there with curling, isn't it? It's like still don't know what that is or why anyone would do it. Anyway, no offense to anyone who's a curler here. <clears throat> there were inscriptions during the days of Paul that even said that there were women who were uh, in the races and even some who won some of the races. Um, I assume the women ran against women. I don't know. but um, uh, So very interesting. Paul uses 12 different references to sports in the New Testament. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he, he gives us a little bit of backdrop as to why he does that. And, and he says... Um, he's, though I'm free, I've made myself a servant uh, uh, to all that I might win more of them. And he goes on to say to the Jews, I've become uh, 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 as a Jew in order to win them. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I, uh, I, I want to be as one outside the law that, that I might win them. And so his, his agenda is to reach people with the gospel. And he says in verse 22, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Verse 24 says this, do you not know that uh, all in the race... Uh, 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 that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so the context that he's talking about this is in verse 22 when he says, all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You could summarize this by saying Paul the Apostle was willing to do whatever it takes to reach someone for the gospel. If I need to be weak, I'll be weak. If I need to be as one under the law, even though he was free of the law, I'll be as one under the law. Man, what a, what a great thing to think about. I'll do whatever it takes to reach others with the gospel. That was his life. And so he says we're to run to win. Run to win. The race, stadia, that's where we get stadium from. In the race, in the stadia, all runners run, but only one wins the prize. The Amplified Bible says, run your race, the individual race that God has designed for you, in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Run so that you will win. Don't run just to finish. Like when there's marathons, you know, and they have these, here in Las Vegas, we have our marathons, you know, the Santa Claus run and all that stuff. A lot of the runs that we have, they're fun runs, right? But I, I would imagine in every fun run, there are two different kinds of people. There are those who were there for fun, and there were those who were trying to win. <laughs> and all the people that are just there for fun are like, man, what's wrong? why are you so serious? Man, I'm trying to win this thing. 
right? And so Paul the Apostle says, you know, run, but run in such a way that you will win. Pastor Jonathan's going to come at the end of my little time, and we're going to tag team you today, and he's going to talk about the basis of our victory. Wouldn't it be great to play a game knowing you've already won? Uh-huh, okay, more on that in just a bit. Okay, so how do I run in such a way as to win? He gives us a couple of things. First of all, he says exercise. Everybody say exercise. Self-control. Exercise. Self. Say, say that. Say self-control. Got a little three-minute video clip I want to show you of a very... Put yourself in in about a five, six-year-old category and see how you do with this exercise and self-control, okay? Is that that great? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said eat it right away. (laughs) Um, Self-control. Paul says every athlete exercises... Self-control. And the word exercise is where we get our English word agony from. The training of the games. Uh, he says in First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. That's fight. The word for fight is the agonizing part of it. It means literally to be a success. Uh, so we understand that, first of all, we need to run to win. And secondly, that we need to exercise self-control. Uh, we, we need to exercise self-control. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, it means to be temperate. Uh, for an athlete to be world-class, uh, there needs to be self-control. It's one of the, and the last, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control, which kind of summarizes all of those things. Uh, these athletes had to deny, they had to, they had to sign up, uh, for certain kinds of food, certain kinds of training. They, they had to uh, uh, work out in a compound. We, we, we get that term gymnasium from that compound. But in the center of that compound was the agon, where the agony uh, was, was worked out and sweated out. And so we understand uh, that running this race will require exercise and self-control and, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is a good thing to do, because we battle this flesh, so that's that entity within us that just wants to do its own thing. It just wants to be, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't care what God says. It's like, man, I'm just going, this is, you know, I'm just going to do this. That's that flesh that's within us. We all have it. And we battle that. And so I think it's a good idea once a day as the Holy Spirit leads us to say no to the flesh. Just go, no. You're not, you know, where the spirit overrides the flesh to say, you know what, I'm not going to get that extra 15 minutes sleep. Okay, I'm not going to get that extra heaping of dessert. No, I'm not going to skip that workout. I am going to go. No, I'm not going to spend that extra hour watching TV to flee the the flesh. And no, I'm not getting that macho combo burrito. I'm not. It's not going to happen. It's a good idea to practice that as the Holy Spirit leads. Run to win exercise, self-control, and Paul says we need a purpose. We need a purpose. He goes, I don't run aimlessly. He don't, I, don't, I don't box as one beating the air. The Amplified Bible says, therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, uh, just shadow boxing, but have a purpose. And then he says, be disciplined. 
Verse 27 in the Amplified, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. It turns out that our flesh makes a wonderful servant, but a poor master. Paul says we need to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. So, run to win, exercise, self-control. These are all athletic terms. Have a purpose. Be disciplined. And that word literally means to strike under the eye or to give a black eye. And so, let me give you sort of a, a summary of my part this morning in one of the ways that I think is pretty critical. And that is, um, there's a, a motivational speaker named Jim Rohn who said this, success is neither magical nor mysterious. Success is the natural consequence of consistently applying the basic fundamentals. Because what Paul the Apostle is talking about are some disciplines and some things that we need to do that are rooted in fundamentals. Isn't it true that to be really great at anything, you have to get the fundamentals down? I mean, isn't it true for sports, the fundamentals? So often it's footwork. Like we like to see uh, a certain kind of a, we like to see home runs. Where's that based out? It's based in fundamentals, which I don't understand how anybody can hit a baseball coming at you at 100 miles an hour. That's just me. I don't know how anybody does that. But in every sport, there are fundamentals. You hear commentators talk about all the time, his fundamentals, look how strong, look at his footwork, look at this, look at that. Things that other people maybe don't recognize. You know, if you want to be strong in business, you've got to get the fundamentals down. If you want to be strong in singing or you want to be even in schoolwork, unless you're just blessed with intelligence where God says, let me give you wisdom and you just don't have to study as hard as anybody else. You ever met someone like that? Someone that's like, man, how long? Man, I studied all night long. How about you? Oh, I just studied like 20 minutes ago and I'm going to ace it. What? Not fair. Okay, fundamentals apply across the lines, in all things. And so this man says, applying the basic fundamentals. Let's take our, our running example. Because hours of training in the wrong technique will not benefit you. I mean, if you're running, then there's such a thing as overstriding, where your leg movement is too far forward. There's such a thing as overkicking, where your leg movement is too far behind. You know, you have to avoid clenching your fists and tightening up when you run, especially if it's 100 meters and someone's ahead of you. Boy, the great ones have a way to kick it into another gear, but to relax and not panic. Don't, and even their breathing, you'll notice they're, they, they're, there's no tension in their face. All of those things are fundamentals that allow someone to run faster. Your head must be in the vertical position. It must be steady at all times. Who knew, right? Well, the greatest coach of all time, John Wooden, former UCLA coach, has gone on to be with Jesus, who was a, not only a great coach but a mentor of, of young men. Um, uh, he was asked one time, what, what's the key to success? In all of your pyramid of success and all the words that you've spoken to so many generations about what true uh, success is, how would you summarize it? And this is what he said. The closest I can come, and this was after some thought because he wasn't one to just give a quick answer to things. He said, the closest I can come to one secret of success is this, a lot of little things done well. 
a lot of little things done well. Isn't that true in life? Isn't that the fundamentals? I mean, in marriage, isn't it the little things that really matter? You know, in the work that you do, however detailed and intricate it might be, isn't it the little things that really matter? Isn't it the consistency of doing the little things over and over again? I would leave you with that, that in our Christianity, that if we want to run in such a way to win, one of the things we need to do is understand what the little things are and to exercise them in a consistent way, right? It's the idea of offering a sacrifice of praise when you don't feel like it. It's the idea of spending that time with the Lord. Whenever you spend time with the Lord on a regular basis so you can have God's word hidden in your heart, right? It's the, it's the idea of doing something that's maybe uncomfortable, even if it's a small thing. Oh, a small thing. It's so uncomfortable. But as you, as you do those things, you recognize that God's in the small things. And if we're doing the small things in our walk, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our work, those are the fundamental things. And if we're doing the fundamental things, then the big things will take care of themselves. Is that right? Is that right? Um, and so Pastor Jonathan is going to come up and share with you about the basis of our victory. Go ahead and run that video, guys. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. Brought to you by Ford and your local Ford dealer who invites you to see the 1983 Ford cars and trucks. Have you driven a Ford lately? By Midas, with over 1,200 Midas muffler and brake shops. Trust the Midas touch for any muffler or brake work you need on your American or imported car. And by Honda Portable Generators for camping, hunting, boating, even charging your car battery. not me. There we go. Yeah, mm, I love marshmallows. <laughs> there. Oh, there's a little marshmallows. Do you want the marshmallows? You can have the rest. Do y'all remember that video? The, the introduction to that? Uh, for those of you who are a little bit younger, that was shown I think it was every Saturday night for a couple of decades. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Um, and although that specific term, that quote, is not in Scripture, it sure is a theme of Scripture, isn't it? There is the thrill of victory. And I've had myself, I'm still real hot, guys, still um, reverbing a lot. Um, there's 
I mean, I've had many victories in my life through the Lord. Also had a lot of defeats. How about you all? You all felt or experienced some defeats in your life? And, um, you know, but I also have to admit there have been times when I've kind of lived in those defeats. You know, where it just really, they really got me down. And I just felt like I was living in it. And, and like uh, the guy who fell down the mountain, um, his name is uh, Binko Bogataj, by the way. <laughs> Ever hear of him before? No, but you've seen his video, right? Um, and he's apparently really was a great athlete, but everybody remembers his great defeat. Isn't that how life can be sometimes? That it reminds us constantly of our defeats. And like uh, Binko, I mean, every week for years and years and years, everybody was reminded of his, the agony of his defeat. And I don't know if he saw it every week, not from this country, but still, we all know who this guy is, don't we? We all know the guy who tumbled down the mountain and who represents the agony of defeat. And like I said, I've felt like there have been times in my life when I have just been hit by the world, just keep getting reminded of my defeat. And almost as if God knew that we would struggle with living in our defeats rather than our victories. We actually discussed that several times in Scripture and want to go through those with you uh, for a minute. Um, the first uh, scripture verse is from Matthew 12, 18 to 21, and it's in the, uh, the Gospel of Ma according to Matthew, and he's quoting Isaiah the prophet who is talking about Jesus. And he says, Behold my, serv my servant, speaking of Jesus, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice. He shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's right, we have victory. And we have hope in that final and eternal victory. Um, the Apostle Paul um, also discussed this in, uh, in his letter to the church in Rome, who was, the folks there were experiencing lots of defeats in their lives. And uh, starting at verse 31, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things, these things that have been experienced? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also among him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, 
more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We don't just win. We are more than conquerors through Jesus. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, also discussed this the church in Corinth. As Pastor Richie was talking um, in that same letter, he said, as he's talking about um, that perishable, the, the perishable uh, um, crown. He says, but when this perishable will have been put on, will have been put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that who, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And do you see what the Apostle Paul is talking about here? He's, he's reminding us that what appeared to be a great defeat of Jesus on the cross. I mean, even his disciples thought, oh, we're defeated. It's over. It's, oh, it's all over. Jesus on the cross said, no, it is finished. It is accomplished. That he took what looked like a great, great defeat and turned it into the ultimate victory. That at the cross, which was a symbol of unbelievable defeat, that Jesus turned that into a symbol of great victory. And that, not only that, but through Him, through what Jesus did on the cross, that we would never ever have to really experience the only defeat that could really and ultimately defeat us. That we could be true victors through Jesus and what He did on the cross for us. That we have victory in our lives and for all eternity through Jesus Christ. But we know, you know, I know, that's easy to say from up here. How do we live that? How do we really do it? Well, one last sports term. We have to look at and pay attention to who's calling the shots in our lives. Calling the shots is actually a billiards term, right? You call your shot. But the greatest called shot in all of sports history was during the 1932 World Series. Babe Ruth 
is said to have called his shot. It was the third game of the World Series, October 1st, 1932. The Yankees were playing, the New York Yankees were playing the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field. The score was tied, and Babe Ruth was at bat. The count was two and two. The babe pointed two fingers to straightaway center field. And on the next pitch, hit what is arguably the most famous home run in baseball history. The Yankees went on to win that game, 7-5, to five, um, game three. And game four, they slaughtered the Cubs and swept them in the World Series. Reflecting on that later, Babe Ruth said, well, yeah, I pointed out to the flagpole, which was in, in center field, and, well, I guess the good Lord was with me. And he was. Because that home run actually is still considered the longest home run ever hit in Wrigley Field, nearly 500 feet. And although Babe Ruth not being known as being a particularly religious man, knew that God had to be in that. By the way, just as a side note, um, that's a picture of Babe Ruth right after he hit that home run, shaking hands with, you guys know who that is? Who's number four? Lou Gehrig. Um, and uh, Lou Gehrig got up to bat. Um, the very, they still had the same pitcher was in. The very next pitch hit a home run. His second home run for that game. Babe hit that Babe's home run was his second as well. In any case, there is there's some controversy actually. As all good legends, even good sports legends, there's some controversy as to whether Babe Ruth really called that shot or not. There's some evidence that maybe he kind of fudged after, you know, with all the media attention. And that's the, the issue for us, isn't it? Are we, are we calling our own shots? Are we calling the shots or is God in our lives? And I encourage you to, I mean, we, obviously we need God to, call, to be calling the shots in every aspect of our lives, but what I'd encourage you to think about right now is what's that area or those couple of areas where God needs, you need to let God start calling the shots in your life, in that area of your life. Maybe it's an area where you are feeling defeated and discouraged. Maybe it's an area of your life that you're feeling completely out of control. Maybe it's the other side where you feel like you are in complete control in that area, but you also know that if anything went wrong, that it would completely crush you. I'd like to take a minute and just give you an opportunity to think about that. What is there an area in your life that you need to say, God, I'm tired of calling these shots because it's not really working. And to allow God to start calling the shots in your life. And in particular, maybe in a particular area for you. 
Because I, can, I promise you that if you let God to start, start calling the shots, you will experience victory in your areas of your greatest defeats. That through Jesus Christ, your defeats will become victories. They will be victories through him. So what I want to do right now is I just want to pray um, to give you all an opportunity to do that. And knowing that today, yeah, there's going to be a there's going to be a victory today in that football game. There's going to, somebody's going to be defeated. But I encourage you to think right now. How can we have that great victory through Jesus Christ in this particular in these areas of our lives? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your great victory, for the greatest victory. That it was such a great victory that it swallowed up all defeat on the cross. Lord, we know that from the outside looking in, that cross looked like a, a great defeat, but you turned it into a victory so that we would never, ever have to experience true defeat. That we could have victory through you. Lord, help us. We need you to call the shots in our lives. Lord, there's some particular areas that I need you to call the shots, that I've been trying to call the shots myself. Lord, so we, we repent of those, we confess those areas in which we are calling the shots. And we say, Lord Jesus, call the shots in our lives. Give us the patience, the self-control to let you call the shots. And Lord, we thank you for that ultimate promise, that assurance that we will experience victory through you and what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.